Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. And I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in African-American Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Adrian King, the co-host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Jay Mesa III about his new book, And Then I Got Fired, One Trans Queer's Reflection on Grief, Unemployment, and Inappropriate Jokes About Death. Welcome to the show, Mace. Thank you so much for having me. So I was wondering if you could start off by just saying a little bit about yourself um, and about the work that you do. Yeah, so I mean, primarily in the world, who I am as a poet. So I have the blessing of being a poet. I also am an educator. So I do spend a lot of my time creating workshops, which I think kind of comes through in the ways that I wrote the book. And aside from that, I'm currently working on a project with a colleague of mine named Lady Dane Figueroa Didi called The Black Trans Prayer Book, where we are specifically creating a theological text with a bunch of Black trans folks from all over the U.S. that specifically centers Black trans people, healing, and divinity. Um, that's really awesome. I can't wait to check that out um, when it's published. Um, so I wanted to start by just asking, um, how did you come into poetry? Um, how did you become a poet? And what made you fall in love with it? <laughs> yeah, so how did I become a poet? So I became a poet when I first learned what poems were. I was eight years old. I still remember my first poem. We were learning about Phyllis Wheatley in class, and we read some of her work from back in the day. And I was like, oh, this is a poem. This is what it is. Like, I, I want to do this. And so um, I didn't know that it was going to be my career. <laughs> that was more <laughs> surprising. But I started writing then. I started doing poems, I guess, quote unquote, more professionally when I was 19 and doing it full time, I guess, about six years ago, something like that. So yeah, so about 10 years after that. <laughs> yeah, um, so I really loved this book, and I really hope that all of our listeners um, go out and purchase it. Um, but I was hoping maybe if you could read from um, the introduction um, to the book, where you talk a little bit about it, and then from there, um, talk about the process of um, how you came to write this book, which I think is like a huge part of, um, you communicate that within the text of the book itself, too. But mm-hmm. I, was, I was hoping you could talk about it. Yeah, most definitely. So I'll start with the introduction. I think it's my responsibility to warn you. 
The story appearing in this book may not end well. I can't tell you yet if this is a story with a happy ending or a sad one, or maybe an anticlimactic whimper, but I am committed to us at least trying to find that out together. If you're up for a journey with no certain finish, then I'm here. Before we get started, you should probably know who I am. My name is Jay Mace III. If that's too long, you can call me Mace or Jay Mace for short. If you ever feel like calling me Jay, you should promptly put down this book and don't open it back up again. Can we agree on that one rule? We can? Are you sure? Great, because I am really chesty these days. This story starts in November of 2012 when I picked up a move from my home in Philly and headed north to New York City. What happened once I got to New York isn't about the city so much, just a series of unfortunate events, bad jokes, and horrible timing on the part of one little trans queer poet, i.e. me. So within this book, as we figure out this story's potential outcomes, you should expect to hear some poems, rants, and a few things to keep yourself busy just in case your heart may be a little heavy too. Maybe we can be friends? So yeah, so that's the, um, the sort of start of the book the first uh, couple pages. And so for me, just sort of like as I sort of referenced in that book, or that first couple pages, is um, this book has some poems in there. Some of it's a little bit stories of specifically losing my grandmother and my father about me getting fired from a job and other sort of things like that, as well as its workbooks. So it's some different questions for people who might be dealing with grief. It's some specific messages for trans people and blessings towards trans people. And it's some tools for artists. So even when you ask that question of how did I become a poet, when I think about myself <laughs> becoming a poet, uh, you know, in a full-time kind of context, I think the title answers all of that. Like, and then I got fired from this job after I was grieving and while I was grieving the loss of my father and some other situations. And so there's some artist tools in the back there so that if you find yourself in a similar situation, and um, want to figure out how to be a sustainable artist, there's a worksheet in there for you about that too. So this for me is a book about honesty and really about, I found, found myself in two back-to-back situations around grief in which people were expecting me to just snap back to quote unquote normal really quickly and I couldn't. And so this for me is a place where I want people to have a space. I, I talk a lot about, um, in some workshops I do, I deal a lot with trauma from people, right? And using poetry and other sort of tools to help people heal from trauma. And so one of the things I tell people, you know, there's a difference between what you tell your therapist so you can keep coming back to therapy versus how you're actually feeling, right? And so this for me is a private space for people to draw, write, and engage with myself as the author about our real experiences with grief. Wow, yes. And and I think that is just like so clear in this book. Um who would you say this book is is for? And maybe you touched on it um a little bit, but I would curious what else you would have to say. Who is this book for? You know, so when I think about ideally for myself in this book as a black person, as a trans person, as a person coming from a Muslim and Christian household, I think oftentimes when I'm asked to write about my experience, I'm usually asked to write about my experience in a way that assumes that the person I'm talking to has no idea what I'm talking about or the context I'm coming from. And so for me, this is one of very few books that exist, I think, out in the world that comes from in the context that I'm assuming that the reader knows that Black trans people exist, that we are magical beings, and that we have a right to safety and space. And so this book is for trans uh, Black and brown folks. This is for 
queer folks. This is for trans folks as a whole. This is for people who are dealing with grief as a whole. I think that anyone that's ever experienced loss can find something in this book, but especially those coming from social justice spaces invested in racial justice and trans justice. I think they can find something especially more magical from this text. Yes, yes. And and I'm curious also what it was like writing this book and what your writing process looked like. Oh, um, because you're, like, <laughs> you're dealing with grief, right? Like in yeah. real time. Um, but yet simultaneously, the book is also for people who are also grieving. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so for me, writing this book, so <laughs> writing this book when people see it and when they get it, because I'm assuming that everyone that re- that listens to this is, of course, going to get the book, right? And have it in their hands. Right. But the book itself <laughs> is it's 84 pages. So it's a very short book, right? It's something that you could really read in, a, in an hour, two hours. If you're spending doing all the worksheet pieces, hopefully it'll take you a few hours to kind of really sit with the questions and meditate with the questions. Uh, but so for me, this book literally took me years to write. So this book... Uh, has been something I've been trying to complete for probably about six years. So probably about right when my father died, I was just, there's some pieces in there that I started writing down. So when I was even in the hospital with my dad, there were some notes I was kind of taking and just thinking about, not because I wanted to write about this thing that was happening to my family and to my father in particular, but just that, you know, when I was, when after he actually finally passed, I was just getting so much terrible advice from so many different places <laughs> that uh, wow. I wanted to create someone to talk to for myself and for other people, right? That uh, right. that wasn't judgmental about how I was handling things, which wasn't well, right? My whole life literally ended. People talk about the world keeps going on. It doesn't. There are some people that you lose in life that your whole existence is thrown into question, right? And so... My writing process was a lot of crying. Uh, At some point, I talk in the book about crying into wine and escargot. That really happened. (laughs) So anyone that reads that line, there's an actual cafe in New York that had $7 escargot that I uh, was really dramatic and would just go to every day because that's what made me happy. Uh, Very, you know, just cheap happy hours always make me really happy. And um, yeah, I think especially because I was having so many... I, I, I think that writing this book just helped me to release a lot of pain that I was feeling. Uh, and still I get to kind of come back to it and look at some of the questions and kind of rethink about that when certain things do get hard, when I lose new people, right? Because loss isn't just this one-time thing. Fortunately and unfortunately, we come into contact with so many people that change our lives all the time. And unfortunately, we don't all make it out the same time, right? So... For me, even the process of this book and thinking about future revisions, all that kind of stuff is feels like an ongoing process. But yeah, six years at least. <laughs> wow. Um, well, thank you again for sharing this work. <laughs> um, it's it's so apparent, I think, um, within the book, um, just the the grief and the love and the emotion um, that are present um, within it. Um, I was hoping you could read actually. Um, from another part of the book, um, from a passage that you t- um, entitled um, Grieving Bill of Rights. Okay. And so I know previously you told me that I was going to be reading that. And if I was really smart, what I would have done is I would have bookmarked that. <laughs> no, here it is. <laughs> so I found it. Um, and actually, if it's okay with you, I would love to read that and one other piece that's labeled trans grief, if that's okay. 
Oh, yes, yeah. please go ahead. Okay. So I'll start with, um, actually, I'll start with trans grief because trans grief comes a little bit before, like literally right before that. Okay. This book stems from my loss of sir and grandmother and family. But as trans folks, we know there are so many different types of grief that go unrecognized within a cis framework. For trans people know grief. There is grief for the people who will never accept us. There is grief for our chosen family that we may outlive. There is grief for those we see in newspapers who look like us. There is grief for the lies told about our bodies and grief that is held within our flesh. For trans people who know grief, let this be a moment to breathe out all the grief you are carrying, the grief you did slash do not deserve, the grief you are a master at forgetting. Breathe. Grieving Bill of Rights. You have a right to cry in public places. Your tears will hit new octaves. Feel free to make an opera on every street corner that will have you. Two, even if you are crazy, which any sane person will be, you have a right not to be around people who make you feel that way. Three, you have a right to stay in bed motionless for at least a week. Turn yourself every few hours to avoid bed sores or stick with the pain just as a reminder that you are alive. Four, God, the universe, the world, existence, whichever you want to pick is evil. Trust no one. Five, accept that whoever you lost wants to see you do well. So don't get up every day for yourself. If you find your life meaningless, live long enough in their honor for you to reach some type of happiness. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash NBN50 and use code NBN50 to get 50% off. That's code NBN50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50 percent off thank you thank you for reading those um and listeners the the book is just filled with even more (laughs) so please check it out um so spirituality is another pretty big theme in the Mm -hmm. book um and from what you said earlier in your um introduction a huge part of, of your life um i was wondering if you could talk about um the role of spirituality within this book um, and talk a little bit about what the blessings are included in the book. So for me, one of the, the first, so if I had to say what's my favorite part of this book, so I would say two different pieces. So one, just being able to, again, I love talking about my father because he literally was and is my best friend, you know, so I love being able to talk about that relationship with him. Uh, the second part that's my favorite in this book is a poem called Zone of Rarity. Uh, which is the first, yeah, so it's like the first actual full poem that you kind of get in this book. And so in Zone of Rarity, I kind of go through a history lesson of the ways that trans, black and brown folks were specifically targeted by colonizers because of their role in 
keeping the spiritual and historical wellness of communities alive, right? That we held so many different roles within various communities before there even was this word trans. Like trans is such a limiting word because it only talks about our gender versus who we are as uh, non-binary, gender non-conforming, and trans beings, as we call ourselves today, uh, is also about claiming a sacred and divine space, especially when we're talking about Black and Brown folks. And so for me, this whole book, I think, who knows better how to think about spirit? Like when I think about myself coming from, again, Muslim and Christian spaces, I've done work in all kinds of different faith communities over the years. For me, I used to actually be part of an organization where we were the first uh, queer organization to publicly meet with high leaders from the Mormon church. I used to be, uh, I've done small chaplaincies. I've, um, you know, uh, supported queer faith groups for young people. I've done prayer circles. I've done, you know, helped create people's spells and incantations. And so I've done lots of different, I've used to be a production manager's assistant for a traveling gospel choir for a short amount of my time. So I've done lots of (laughs) random stuff within faith communities. And um, for me, in all the different faith spaces I've ever been in, whether they were Abrahamic or not, the one consistent theme that has always come up is that we as humans are spiritual beings temporarily having a physical experience. And I think who better describes that than trans people, that there can be these limitations that cis straight people have on the body and who's supposed to inhabit what, and that trans people can say these words that you have for this, this, uh, uh, these roles that you have for this are all limiting and actually not accurate Right. And so that we can see ourselves beyond the limitations of cis straight ideology. Right. And so then who better to also usher people through spiritual ways of being. And so I think that for me, in that sense, this is me also moving into my role as a black trans person, as a divine healer in that way. So a lot of my work is acknowledging the ways that we have created possibility for ourselves and for Black folks as a whole and Brown folks as a whole to access the ancestral as well as the spiritual plane. Wow, yes. And so you insert the blessings within the book. um, And can you talk a little bit about um, what those are? Yeah, so I think for me, there's so many different ways that as trans people, we get antagonized on a regular daily basis, right? So even... When I think about this idea of like, you know, and then I got fired, all these things, when I think about what it took for me to go to a nine to five job every day, whether it was me getting harassed when I'd be on the train, whether it's me getting followed throughout my neighborhood, whether it's people in their roles intentionally misgendering me, harassing me, all those different things that trans people deal with just to exist. And then we got to show up and act like things are normal, right? We got to act like, we got to sit in a meeting with a bunch of cis people that did not have the same kind of uh, violence that we experienced in that day. And we got to answer the same questions. We got to show up and, and smile in people's faces and be cordial and all this other stuff. And it messes with you, right? Sometimes you just need remembrances that who you are is important and who you are is vital and who you are is sacred and important, right? And so throughout the book, I just have these short one-page blessings for trans people 
you know, things like, uh, dear trans person, you have a right to heal, right? So just reminders for ourselves that I imagine as meditation pages that I would really love for trans people just to sit with, like even just once a day to have that reflected to us, you know, that we have that right to just take a moment and to remember who we are. Yes. And, um, and another something else that you write about um, in the book mm-hmm. is well, the book concludes worksheets at the end, um, and I was hoping you could say more about um, the lived experience that informed those worksheets, um, <laughs> as well as kind of um, just you know tell the audience what the worksheets are. Um, yes. Yeah. So there's three major worksheets, and so one is um, one for people to talk about the gifts of grief, right? that I find myself, I found myself, you know, when I was especially very steeped in my grief modes, that uh, I was losing all kinds of relationships, right? And so I was losing all kinds of friendships from people that just didn't know how to deal with what I was experiencing. People who were just like, oh, you know, it'll get better. Oh, it just takes time. And clearly those people had never dealt with the same kind of shit I was talking about, right? So clearly they were just like, oh, it's the magical silver lining type shit that isn't real, right? Sometimes there is no silver lining. Sometimes being alive is painful and it's more painful than not, right? And so we need stuff that allows us again to be honest about that so we can make a decision to move forward, right? And so for me, when I was even thinking about the gifts of grief, like sometimes I would, I was recognizing the types of jokes that when I was in that mode that I was telling, other people didn't find very funny. Mm-hmm. So for me, by the time I was watching my father, uh, that I lost my father, you know, at that point, my father was the third person in my life that I had watched die, right? And he would not be the last person I watched die at that time, right? But um, that's, I think that's for me as a person again in my in my world understanding of what my particular role is with the people I love and care about that's something that I find to be sacred is being able to be with people in those moments right um and also that means you see some stuff or you're dealing with some stuff that most people again haven't seen or sat with or had to think about right and so you know i would find my uh sense of humor being a little bit more uh, um, grim, I guess, than the than the other right. person. <laughs> and so some of these things are like, oh, you know, like one of my superpowers is I can like just burst into tears and clear aisles. You know, like what other superpowers <laughs> could you potentially get from grief, right? Um, one of the pieces is for sad faces trying to recover, right? So you, it's got some drawing space and other sort of things to think about, you know, what kind of helps you kind of recover when you are feeling that that down. Um, and also, to me, like, all these things are for moments when you might not be able to call someone on the phone. Like, I have friends that say, like, you know, you know, I need to take some self-care because I can't, you know, some of the things that you're telling with me, telling to me are, are beyond my scope, which for my friends is actually fair, right? A lot of them actually could not think about or sit with some of the things and some of the questions I was asking because they never experienced that, right? And so to me, all these things are about those moments when you are sitting by yourself and maybe it is 3 a.m. and maybe you can't call someone, right? You at least have a place to talk about what you're learning about yourself, what you have learned about yourself, 
to remember the people that you're grieving or the person that you're grieving, all those sorts of things. Um, as well as, as I shared earlier, there is an artist worksheet in here because I do think that as trans folks and particularly black and brown trans folks, we get pushed out of nine to five work all the time. Like me, the experience I had is not a rare experience for trans folks that are black and brown, right? That we consistently get pushed out of nine to five work. And so being able to even take the art seriously as a work forum, I never had conversations about that until I was going through this grief mode and actually had to hurry up and catch up and get with the times, right? So even having an honest space to talk about how the other types of things that happen when you're grieving, because it's usually not just that you're sad about people that you're no longer around, but your life changes, your friendships might change, and most of them will change, right? Your My work experience changed. Some people you're housing, were you living with the person? Were you down, I used to live down the street from my grandmother before she passed, right? Um, my father was someone I saw every weekend, right? So all these, a lot of your social movements, your physical movements in the world also change. Um, yeah, so to me, even that artist worksheet kind of speaks to the reality that it's not just one part of your life that grief shifts. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. And I think on um, note with the artist worksheets, um, this book is self-published. And so I was wondering if you could talk um, a little bit about that process and also talk about the physical mm-hmm. um, book. Um I'm just thinking about how you're smiling on the front, um, but and also the size of the font. And so I'm really curious about what that process was like as well. Yeah. So oh, these are all, yeah. So what's important to me, this is the first real trip I took after my dad died. And so this was two years after my dad died, the picture on the front. And so this picture was taken by Ajamu X, who is a brilliant, prolific Black queer photographer based in London who took my photo. Uh, not specifically for this project, but I, I wrote him up and I was like, hey, so you took this picture of me. I love it. I'm in love with it. Can I use this for this book? Because like this is one of the few times, this is like one of the first times after my father passed that I was experiencing joy, you know, being able to be in another country and hang out with brilliant black uh, trans and queer folks was um, was life-giving, you know, being able to spit poems and be with people. And yeah, so for me, that's what that picture means to me. There's a picture of my father in the back of the book. And that for me is a picture of, um, I took of him when we were at breakfast, at a, a breakfast together, which is one of our weekly traditions, you know? And so for me, that picture is about us, about him and I having like an actual conversation and just kind of being in each other's presence and feeling joy. So I think throughout all these pictures that are in here, there's only, you know, three pictures that are really near about accessing some sort of joy, right? Um, when it comes to the font, I refuse to wear my glasses on a regular daily basis. This is something that you should know about me. And so, <laughs> so a lot of my friends are like, thank you for making this so accessible. And right. yes, and also it's because I too also cannot, uh, I, my eyes are not not hyper great. Uh, and I wanted to be able to sit and be relaxed while I was reading this and not have to pull out five other pieces of equipment. And so even that accessibility for me was really important in that way. And yeah, and so I chose to self-publish because, so what I think about even my colleague, Lady Dane Figueroa-Didi, I think about people like Venus de Khadija Selenite, I think about as a Black trans poets that I really admire that are often self-publishing as a way to also say like, I shouldn't have to wait for some other body to recognize my work, right? That I know that this work is important. Every week I'm getting messages from people whose 
feel like their lives have been changed from reading this short text that I was able to kind of put out on my own terms. I think that's really important to me, having creative control and not having to tell cis people, this is why this is capitalized, or this is why this is, or this is why I spelled this this way, right? We're telling white folks, this is why this looks this way. This is why this is. This is why I do not use lowercase b's, right? Like this is like doing all those things. And so for me, again, in that place of knowing that as black and brown trans folks, the experiences that we have around um, having to create and produce the work that we needed and that we need today, uh, to me also means that I believe in autonomy in all the different kinds of ways. And so this is a process. So I've been published in other types of texts with other major publishers. And I think that's was great. But primarily what I really love to do is I really just want to make my own shit and um, make it right. accessible <laughs> to people and have control over where it goes and how it's, how it's picked up. Right. Um, well, we've taken up a lot of your time. Um, but I guess on that note, um, I was hoping you could tell folks where they can find this book um, and also talk a little bit about um, other projects that you're working on too. So people can find this book uh, on my website, which is www.jmace3rd.com, which is jmaceii.com. They can also find it on Amazon. They can find it on barnesandnoble.com and lulu.com as far as other projects that I'm working on. So one project I'm working, I'm working on a few <laughs> different projects. The major project <laughs> that I'm working on is the Black Trans Prayer Book with Lady Dame Figueroa Didi, which will be the first theological text of its kind. Again, taking 20 other Black trans folks from all over the U.S. and some outside the U.S. where we're going to be creating healing tools specifically for Black trans folks that are both inside of and beyond faith communities. So me coming from Muslim Christian context, Dane coming from Lakumi and um, uh, indigenous West African, as well as um, indigenous, uh, like uh, North American sort of um, faith context that we are going to be combining across a whole spectrum of ways that people access the spirit, right? And so that book is going to be out either if not by the end of the fall, then early winter. And so people can help support that work by following us on social media or um, by donating via my website or or TransFaith, which is our fiscal sponsor's website. Um, Yeah, but that's my favorite, favorite of all the large projects that I'm kind of working on right now. Um, That sounds awesome. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Um, Thank you so much for your time today. Um, And I hope um, listeners go out um, and read um, and enjoy this book. Yeah. And if you do pick up this book, please um, tag me on the Instagram. So that's uh, trying to be be him on the Instagram, trying to learn learn my social media, you know, so please um, check me out there too. Um, Do you want to throw out your handle? Yeah. So my handle is just my name. So it's at letter J, the letter M as in Mary, A as in Apple, S as in Sam, E as in Eagle, I, 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 and you can find me there. All right. Thanks so much, Mace. Thank you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. 
laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.